This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. Joining me today, we have the full squad and David, Brady, and Jordan. Today, we're going to be doing a little bit of basketball talk. Uh, not too much new to discuss, but we're going to um, break down the upcoming matchup with Coastal Carolina after Georgia State uh, has taken a brief pause uh, dealing with some COVID issues. And then um, a little bit of uh, football news, but... Stay tuned for later in the episode because we fully expect this one to go off the rails because we opened up for some non-off-topic uh, um, listener questions this week that I think uh, will be quite interesting to hear our takes on. So uh, without further ado, let's dive into the concrete basketball news. So as of January 8th, last week as of recording this episode, uh, Georgia State had to put a pause on basketball activities uh, due to some uh, positive coronavirus tests within the Georgia State program. That put the uh, Troy series on hold, we'll made up at a later date. Um, so now, you know, pending any new news coming out after we recorded, Georgia State is set to take on their next opponent, hosting the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, who are their previous matchup, uh, their previous opponents they just saw um, recently. So it's going to be a um, quick turnaround for the Panthers here. Let's open up for some general discussion. How do we feel about Georgia State's chances moving forward to try and um, protect home court against a very solid Coastal Carolina squad coming to visit this weekend? So before we get into actually discussing the uh, Chanticleers coming in, let's get a bit of a brief rehash on this. Uh, Coastal is 9-2 and two on the season, 3-1 and one in the Sunbelt Conference play, and they're coming off of a home sweep of South Alabama last weekend. Uh, like we said last week, head coach Cliff Ellis has been a D1 head basketball coach since the mid-1970s. Players to watch again are guard Devontae Jones, 22.7 points per game, 6.7 rebounds per game, 3.8 steals per game. Isam Mustafa, 13.2 points per game, 11.1 rebounds per game. Garrick Green also scored 28 in their last game versus South Alabama. So since we already talked about Coastal Carolina a little bit in our previous episode previewing them, we're going to treat this as an extended bonus content version of Tools of the Game, which is our weekly segment where we break down an upcoming matchup to reveal our thoughts about what both the Panthers and their opponent will need to do to win the game. And of course, this week's matchup is the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Tools of the Game is brought to you by Crawford Tool. The folks at Crawford Tool have been Panther Athletic Club members and football season ticket holders since 2010, and now Thursday Night Podcast listeners can enjoy 10% off Crawford Tool's entire catalog of quality hand tools, toolkits, and supplies with code THURS at checkout. That's code THURS, T-H-E-R-S. Thursday Night does get a percentage of all eligible purchases, so if you want to pick up some great tools at even better prices and help support our efforts along the way, visit www.crawfordtool.com and use code THURS at checkout. Thanks, Crawford Tool, for supporting the podcast. All right, I guess 2020 and 2021 are just going to be the Coastal Carolina show because everywhere and in every sport, I feel like we just keep talking about this dang school at the top of whatever standings that you want to have. Um, as we sit here today, Coastal is they have the best winning percentage in the Sun Belt. Um, but there are some caveats with that. And this is probably their first real road test. You know, they're nine and one at home. They've 
had one road game. So this definitely is their first real road test. And it's just not easy to beat Georgia state on the road. Um, if coastal is good, which they so far this season have been, and they are able to get that split with Georgia state, that'll go a long way for them. Um, Obviously, Georgia State didn't play last week, um, so there might be some pressure on them to sweep. But also, it's Georgia State at the sports arena. You know, they rarely lose there. So I definitely expect Georgia State to come out and play really well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, losing the Troy series for now uh, is a bummer. Uh, but like we talked about when the Charlotte game got uh, postponed and eventually canceled, in the football season, it's just sort of the cost of business doing sports during this crazy time and dealing with all that coronavirus is bringing this country. And so it's the right thing that had to happen. And we await hearing what comes of the tests the team will do ahead of this game. Uh, by the time we record and release this, we may or may not know. I think it'll probably, I mean, cause the last time it came out on Friday, so probably won't know until day of, uh, but let's go on, which we would love it to do because we like sports and we like seeing Georgia state be able to play. Uh, I, it's an important series just because like David said, it's a home series and you can really only afford to lose so many home games with the, the way the schedule is set up. Um, you just got to hold serve at home and they're just it's going to be the same situation uh, as the last time against Coastal where Georgia State's going to be coming off of being idle for a little while. And obviously the circumstances are a little different. The fact remains that it'll be a Georgia State team that hasn't played. And that was a negative for the team when they played their first conference game against Coastal because the team wasn't really playing their best. So I guess the motivation, the... the uh, what the team needs to do is turn it into a positive this time and find some way to make something of this time where they haven't been able to practice. Um, it's we'll see when the game happens, if the game happens, how it goes. I mean, it's hard to just go after pausing everything to just go full into playing division one basketball. So I don't know if I want to say we need to temper expectations. Cause I don't know. I don't know what, this week has looked like for the players and where their heads are at with again, like there was never a pause at all, but it is worth mentioning that fact of it. I'm also interested to see, you know, the last time we saw the coastal Carolina team, you know, we're missing two major rotational pieces uh, for this Georgia state team. You know, I'm really interested to see how bringing, assuming they're going to be good to go for the series, you know, uh, bringing Sasemi and, uh, and Jojo topic back into the mix um, changes a little bit of the way that both culturally approach the game from a planning standpoint and kind of from a rotation, who's going to be actually on the floor uh, at any given time, matching up with uh, some of the um, kind of the bigs were really the um, where coastal Carolina really feel like they uh, had the advantage in that last matchup. So hopefully getting those guys back um, and being closer back to full strength will maybe tip the tide uh, in the Panthers favor. You know, obviously every team in the country more or less is dealing with something like this. Um, 
but I just, I know that the atmosphere at the sports arena is usually fairly, you know, it's good. Like we, we talk about that. Like the, the, the players throughout the years at Georgia state have always fed off that crowd energy. Um, and so I wonder if that is going to be something that the players keep in their minds, you know, that they won't have that familiar energy to feed off of, you know, when they, you know, take the floor this Friday and Saturday, I think the, that hustle factor that, you know, you kind of mentioned Toppin and Saseme coming back. Like those are two guys that are, you know, prolific in how often that they're hustling and, you know, kind of forcing that tempo and forcing other teams into mistakes. And, you know, I do wonder if the lack of a crowd at the sports arena is going to have, you know, an impact, if any, on the team. And I guess the other thing, just as far as the Troy series goes, I don't know what their plans are to reschedule. I will say that it worked out sort of well, given that Troy is a pretty easy trip to make. I feel like it is an impossible ask to split those two road games at some point within the schedule. Not necessarily worry about setting up a series where the Georgia state has to play twice in a week. At the same time, Georgia state is also due to play, you know, somewhere else. Um, I guess it's possible. They'd, maybe try and work one in as Georgia state is going to play South Alabama, but that is one advantage just worked out who Georgia state couldn't end up playing this past week. That I think that the game is make upable what the uh, plans are from the Sunbelt as far as when they're deciding to reschedule games. But uh, with all the implications and how just inherently close the standings are going to be and what I can only imagine would just be a mess of tiebreakers given all the common opponents. Uh, it feels like you can't just drop those two games. So I feel like it's going to have to be a way later conversation for them to talk about not rescheduling the games. Um, I, you guys covered it. Uh, those are going to be the keys to getting the wins. And I think bottom line is if Georgia state is playing the flip, the flip has just to be got to be switched on and it's back to, you know, these games are really important for where Georgia state's going to end up in the Sunbelt East. Moving on to some football news, Georgia state outside linebacker, Jordan Strong has entered the transfer portal. Uh, this reported last Tuesday or this past Tuesday, uh, first reported by Chris Hummer of two, four, seven sports. Um, and then as a recording today, Wednesday, um, Jordan announced on Twitter that he will be transferring to the university of South Carolina. Do you have any reaction to this news? Obviously, uh, losing a guy who led the uh, nation in sacks is a huge loss. Wasn't something I think we were necessarily expecting. Just kind of up, he's in the transfer portal, up, he's announced he's going to South Carolina, and then it's done, uh, it's over. But I, I think that the trouble is you can have a really good player and you can keep your really good player. But if he does something like, get 10 and a half sacks in a season and lead the country well. And and teams are going to notice that this guy's really good. Like watching him play this year, we were aware that he was playing at an sec level, but the sec didn't necessarily need to know that. Yeah. It would have been really nice if uh, Georgia state could have stashed him for, you know, one final year. Um, but I, like I can personally say, I wish him the best, you know, it was a phenomenal 2020 season for him. I mean, I can count on, 
both of my hands how many times he just threw linemen using only one of his arms, which is ridiculous. And so, you know, getting to see that, you know, against SEC guys will be something to watch. Um, but, you know, kind of focusing a little bit on Georgia State, obviously when you lose your top sack rusher and your you know, the guy who led the country in sacks, you're, you would assume that the production is going to fall off significantly. And I just can't say that I see that personally for this Georgia state team. Um, you know, as we sit here today, you know, knowing what we know with who's coming back and who's not, um, you know, maybe some guys after this conversation, you know, decide to opt out or decide to enter the portal or something like that. But, you know, there's a lot of talent still on the D line, um, you know, on both the, at the end positions, you know, just general D linemen, you know, Hardrick's coming back. Um, you know, Jeff Clark is still there. Javon Dennis got some opportunities to play last year and, you know, he's going to, you know, those guys are all going to need to step up. And so I think the depth definitely takes a hit, you know, everybody's got to move up a a rung. Um, but this is going to give, you know, some other spunky linebacker who wants to be an edge rusher, you know, the opportunity, just the same that Jordan got the opportunity, you know, and I think that Georgia state has a lot of a lot of talent on that specific side of the ball that's we expect to come back and we'll be, you know, maybe not lead the country in sacks, but you definitely will have a, you know, group of guys who can sort of match that level of production. And can I just say that if in the situation where, you know, Jordan moves on, hopefully, you know, he has a great year in South Carolina, wishing all the best for him, Georgia state's, defensive line comes back and has just as good, if not a better year with the talent they still have on the roster. I think that'll be a big boon uh, for the the coaching staff, specifically in recruiting of, you know, look like we in, you know, in the middle of Atlanta, we have a, a school and a, a system and a program where, you know, we are continually churning out um, defensive talent and are able to kind of elevate guys. And that's next man, uh, next man up mentality. Um, to the point where, you know, like I really feel like if they are able to leverage the talent they have on the roster in a meaningful way and still keep that same kind of actual uh, defensive line presence that we saw this year led by Jordan, um, that I think, you know, Georgia State will be still even in a great spot despite losing, like you said, the, the nation's leading sack leader from last year. And putting in perspective just how good the defensive line play that the pass rush was this year, if you take out Jordan's 10 and a half sacks, the tw- 24 and a half, uh, I think I did that math, right? The 24 and a half sacks the team still has is still a program high. And that's still in two less games than a regular, regular season with the bowl game included. So it really wasn't a case of just, it, we have to wait and see how much of his presence was there, even on plays where he didn't get the sack whether there was another guy got a sack or his pressure created to turnover or whatever, obviously he had the big strip in the uh, Georgia Southern game, but like David talked about, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. And I still think that obviously on draft day, if Jordan strong goes to South Carolina, continues to turn it up, gets drafted, they will say, you know, Jordan Strawn, linebacker from the University of South Carolina, but Georgia State still gets credit for the development. And that's still something where the coaches who were here, who were part of that, hey, you know, we helped him get there. And I guess just my final thing on the topic was just that he was a walk on. He earned his spot. He earned a scholarship. He had the bad injury last year 
knocked him out in the first game, which had to be a really frustrating thing. And he just turned it all into motivation for this season and had a hell of a season and really hats off to him. Best of luck to him in Columbia. So moving into our listener question portion of this episode, uh, earlier this week, we put out a call on Twitter asking for a little bit of a different listener question portion this week. We wanted to see if you guys had any specific top five lists you wanted us to tackle. And we got a lot of really interesting responses, as you will hear as we get to some of these. Uh, First up, we do have Mike from Marietta with a duo of top five list requests. And his first one is he wants to know our top five wins in Georgia State men's basketball history. Well, thanks, Mike, uh, for at least uh, one question amongst them that is semi-related to the usual (laughs) subjects of the Thursday night podcast. We do appreciate someone letting us stay on topic as we progressively are going to go away from that. But um, this was an interesting one because I think that a lot of it shades recent in our memory just because these are the games we knew, but also we are kind of in the burgeoning years of the Georgia State basketball program. So it also makes sense. Um, So with that said, my honorable mention, I just wanted to mention this one, 2018, the 83-80 road win over Alabama with Malik Ben-Levy's game-winning three, uh, incredible shot, uh, 20-point comeback. It was, uh, we were at that game. Uh, I think most of us, if not all of us, right? That was a fun one. I was there. Yeah, yeah no, Taylor was I, not. I went with you guys. We uh, we carpooled over there and then had a good time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we pulled up at around halftime just because circumstance. We were getting there late, which I hate getting late to sports games. Um, uh, but it was not a close game. And then Georgia State just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And then finally that three at the end by Malik was incredible. Um, that makes a sports center top 10 that night, I, I believe. I think it did, yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, Shut up, I, my boy Malik, friend of the pod. Yep. I put in my number five, the uh, Georgia Tech four overtime win this year, 123-120 in fifth ahead of it, just because it was Georgia Tech. Um, I think that they edged it out for that reason, um, because it's kind of similar wins, even though not four overtimes in Tuscaloosa. But it also was important, I think, because obviously the Georgia Tech part of it matters a good deal, just because Georgia state's been talking about, you know, best in the state and wins like that help cement that. Um, but also Georgia state has been in some of those games like that Georgia tech game where the going gets tough late on against the team that has maybe more power conference you know, players, you know, what have you, uh, but Georgia state was the ones that were the aggressors in the end and won that game. And I, so I think that mattered a good deal. Um, Malik's going to get another shout out here because number four is the ni- 91-67 win over Georgia in the Caymans uh, in 2018. Uh, another game where, I mean, Malik was just unconscious from three, unconscious, and just the team from the opening tip, which is playing incredible, and just smacked Georgia. And and it was another real win where Georgia State really could go and say, look, you know, Georgia didn't want to play us. We had to play them through a very specific set of results going the way they did for Georgia to even have to play Georgia State. And then Georgia State just smacked them. So I think it meant a great deal for the in-state stuff as well. Um, And then the top three, just given Georgia State's history, I think you can't or, you know, that the games where the NCAA tournament was involved are the most important, the best wins. And so number three, 
1991 TAC title game win, 80 to 60 over Little Rock, which got Georgia State their first ever NCAA appearance. Number two, I went with the 2001 win 50 to 49 over the sixth seed Wisconsin up in Boise. Um, and number one, the shot 2015 NCAA tournament win over three seed Baylor. Uh, I think you could make an argument, uh, that the 2001 team is better. Uh, they had the better overall record. Um, they also beat up on Georgia that year, I believe. Um, but I just think the moment, I mean, the RJ moment is going to live on in March madness for forever. And I just, there wasn't one of those moments, even though it was a one, it was also a one point game against Wisconsin. It was a close game, but I just think, you know, that RJ shot is going to be in everyone's memory for as long as they're thinking about the NCAA tournament. And I mean, really put the program on the map. That's, that's a good list. Um, I don't want to add too much to the list in terms of like, you know, top wins in program history, because I think you can't really deviate too much from the list. Um, but I do want to mention one game just because of how much of a cluster, you know, what it was. And that was that 2015 Sunbelt championship oh, game. David, oh, we're talking about favorite wins. You, you, mean, <laughs> the, you mean the game with the football score at the oh. end? Kevin Ware leading the way with like 13 points scored, leading all scores. Oh, God. We, Actually, we can cannot... we pause for a second? I do want to pull up the box score now. Now that you've got me thinking about it. Why would you it. do that to yourself, Taylor? Yeah, this is this is top five wins program history, not top five games we wanted to end badly, Did, no matter where the result was. We from the we, record of history. We cannot, talk, we cannot talk about Georgia State's, you know, impressive wins without talking about what an absolute slugfest in the <laughs> worst def, like worst you know way of using that word that that game was it was just David you ready to cringe when I read off some of these stat lines for you oh, here please do so your leading score leading all scorers by at least 10 points uh Kevin Ware 18 points one of four from three eight of 17 from the field adding oh. on five rebounds <laughs> he's your best contributor on either side of the floor now, uh, just picking out, I mean, uh, man, 15% from three from the Panthers, 19%, 526 for the, the Eagles, 213 from the Panthers. I mean, just abysmal, abysmal numbers across the, across the, the board here. But at the end of the day, flags fly forever. So they still got that win though. They so lost their little league championships and their six. I will say, let's move on. I still, ingrained the feeling in my chest as that final three from Georgia Southern went up because oh, yeah. it, no, it was that's, from that, way that, out there. That's top, top five like, right there. heart attack moments right there. <laughs> with the way that the last uh, Sunbelt final had gone with the loss, I just don't oh, know God. going back from back-to-back years of just heartbreak there at the end happening. And so it was you know, like, I remember not being a situation where te- uh, another needed to get a shot off. I remember it being a situation where I think Georgia state had done something to have it not be a final shot. And I think the the ball went out of bounds right at the end and it was a review as to who it went off or something like that. And uh, I think it was a situation where like Georgia state could have avoided the situation. Um, but of course it went down to one final shot. They got a okay. If long look off and that was just the longest five to 10 seconds. Yeah, and juxtapose that with the Torian Prince heave at the end of the Baylor game as well. You know, one game after that. So, man. 
see that what one you could tell immediately was. it was going to go way like because we were on floor for that you can immediately tell how off that was shot was going to be yeah no, he's six feet like, away where I was. you know I was like, off, oh, that's... His, off his off foot heaving with like what a second to plant and turn and shoot yeah yeah all four of us were at the like in the band for that game right i'm pretty sure. so yeah yeah, yeah i mean so. we didn't yeah, there's a really great picture of david's face when the shot goes <laughs> in <laughs> we gotta find it and put it on the tweet when this pod goes out oh no please god <laughs> let's make that our updated twitter api oh my god <laughs> i think i was motoring through the end of the list there just because i knew i'd spend some time in the earlier pieces but i mean that's just such a cool moment. If you if you don't ever get a chance to go to an NCA sub regional where whether it's Georgia State or whether you're there for just because it's in in you know local area or wherever you are, when a, who's pulling the upset is in the game, the energy from all the fans who are there it just changes. And it's just when Georgia State was putting that run together, just all the building energy in Jacksonville. I mean that that was just such a cool environment to be a part of. Yeah, I even taking the Georgia State out of it, just it's just one of the cooler things. Yeah, I remember when we were there, floor seats like in the band area. Uh, Xavier's band was getting set up yeah. next to us to take on Arkansas. I believe was their first round matchup that year. And oh, over the this. course of the second game, oh, oh you were thinking. Um, over the course of the second half of that game, as RJ Hunter started to wake up. Georgia State started making shots, getting some stops, closing it in, and they were getting more into it as well. And that, they were the most uh, kind of like direct, um, like group of you know people other than us that we were closest to. Like we we're kind of separated from the fans, um, but the fact that they were getting into it and knowing that we would be back to see them on Saturday if we won, and knowing that they were kind of pulling for the upset was it was really cool. I mean. Brady, you, you summed it up perfectly. It's just the energy in the arena started to change and is genuinely one of the most like electric, uh, like out-of-body experiences I've ever um, experienced in person. All right, so that was a fantastic way to open this uh, top five list question from Mike. Uh, and now his second question, uh, what's your top five Jimmy Buffett songs? Uh, that is that is going to be all people who are not me. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a parrot header. What I think, whatever the I believe Buffett people Taylor are, is our resident themselves. Buffett scholar. Yeah, yeah I, I believe away. I've uh, uh, assumed the role of the adjunct uh, Margaritaville historian here. Um, I'm not a personally a huge Jimmy Buffett fan in my like own like personal listening. However, I did grow up uh, raised by two huge parrot heads. So the uh, the musical stylings of Jimmy Buffett uh, run these roots go deep. Uh, so we'll just blow through a top five here, starting with number five, not my favorite song, but just understanding the significance within the fandom, within the Jimmy Buffett lore. You got to give an honorable mention shout out at number five to Margaritaville. It's a bop. You know, if, the, if you like that kind of thing, I have visited numerous Margaritaville locations, some of which have been on Georgia State uh, affiliated trips as well. Uh, 2017 Cure Bowl, 2015 Cure Bowl. Can't remember. Uh we went, we stayed, what year was that? We stayed in the, uh, uh, the hotel within like walking distance of that Orlando downtown area. Uh, it was both years. We had the, with the same hotel. The one that was like back in, like, it was like a 1950s aesthetic hotel or whatever. Oh like, no, that was, that was 2015. What was it? The, the Cabana Bay beach resort or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Within walking distance of like the, um, like the, or, uh, the universal studios, like downtown area and definitely had multiple meals at that, uh, Margaritaville, uh, could be at number four, uh, 
Volcano, another kind of uh, well-known Jimmy Buffett bop. Um, and then at number three, uh, Son of a Sailor is a favorite of my dad. So I definitely heard that uh, more often than most growing up. Um, a Pirate Looks at 40 definitely uh, scratches uh, that same itch as well of just kind of a, maybe a little more of a, a low-key hit if you're not, a, um, you know, if you're more of like a um, a seasoned uh, parrot head. And then coming in at number one, my favorite Jimmy Buffett song is going to be Changes in Latitudes, Changes in in attitudes something about the, the melody the tune just gets stuck in your head so easily so uh mike this one was for you thanks for the uh interesting jumping off point for our off topic top five lists yeah thanks uh, again thanks mike for that and now the moment none of you have been waiting for except the person who asked this question alexis wants to know our top five terminals at hartsfield jackson international airport and she says there is a correct order and alexis you are correct there is a correct order and let me just start by saying that I have uh, I've flown a lot out of Hartsfield Jackson and I've gone to a bunch of different destinations around the country. I think overall it's a very good airport, but there are things that are bad about it. So let's just start right at the bottom. Uh, preface this: there are seven. I guess the the airport calls them concourses, not technically terminals, but the there are seven concourses. You have Concourse T that's attached to the building where the baggage claim and all the check-in desks are, and then they go uh, west to east. A, B, C, D, E, and then F is the new international terminal they built. Uh, I think it was 2012. They opened that up. Um, so right at the bottom, Concourse B is the worst. And if you disagree, then I don't know what to tell you because it is just irredeemably awful. Terrible. There's the, like the only redeeming things about Concourse B is that if you go, not on the plane train, if you go through the tunnels underneath the airport between all the concourses, there's a forest that's like in the tunnel down there. That's the only good thing about Concourse B is you get to go see that on your way to just, I, I guess, the equivalent of the Newark Liberty Airport. If you've ever been there, it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's awful. Bird, why would you evoke that sort of hellacious imagery? <laughs> because Concourse B is bad. But there is a redeeming thing about Concourse B, and that's that there is a place that will rent you beds, like little pods to sleep in, in Concourse B. But... When you realize that company also has an outpost in Concourse T, that's even further proof that Concourse B sucks. Also, none of us were alive when this was a thing, but there was a tunnel between the end of Concourse B and Concourse C underground. Not the, not at the middle where like the plane train and the walkway is. I think it was at the north end that would connect the two ends because Eastern Airlines, rest in peace, was a uh, major tenant in those. And then when Eastern folded in the early 90s, they said, well, we don't need this anymore, and they covered it up, and now there's a, a bank of monitors to tell you how long your flight's going to be delayed that you get to stare at instead of you know, getting out of Concourse B as quickly as possible. So that is firmly cemented in number seventh place for me. Uh, and then we're just going to skip over to fifth place. I guess I can tell you sixth place would be Concourse E for me because you know it's, it's the old international terminal. There's like, I don't know. 15 gates there. there's really nothing going on there's no reason to go there unless you're flying an airline that's not delta in which case why uh fifth place concourse d i believe has the most gates out of any concourse also has a lot of food options but the disadvantage here is that you're furthest from the gate or the ticketing area so you have to take the train and it's a long ride and it's going to take you like five minutes if you wanted to walk well you could but it's like a mile and a half from the uh, the drop-off points why would you do that you have to take the train, 
And then if it's full, you have to wait. And then you have to hear that voice saying, this train is departing. Please hold on. And then it immediately slams you into the back of the train with the force <laughs> of 10 billion suns. And then you fall <laughs> and you break your legs and you crush an old lady or whatever. And then you, your day is ruined. So Concord, Are you pulling from personal experience, Jordan? Or Well, I haven't, I haven't killed anyone, but I have had my fair I'm just going to say of, that... Uh, if this is your experience, how is this one not last? <laughs> right, that sounds concourse e concourse is e and whatever you had at number seven. If if getting thrown to the back of the train and crushing an old woman brings it to number five. Okay, concourse B is also where you get delegated as like the okay, thanks for playing like connection thing, because you have concourse A is all Delta. I think Delta has like half of Concourse B and half of Concourse C. But if if you're flying Delta and you're you're in like a, a really, I guess they'd call it like a tier one flight or like something that you know is going to be like a mainline thing. You got a nice airplane. It's going to be a frequent flight, whatever. You're probably going into Concourse A, right? Because it's it's the closest one that's not like you know attached to the uh, the ticketing desk building or whatever. So Concourse A is usually where you're going to fly in and out of if you're on a a flight that's going somewhere worthwhile. Concourse B is like the all right. Well, I guess we have to put you somewhere. And we're not going to put you in the the nicer, newer ones. So you just you just go go in your little cupboard under the stairs and go away. I really don't like Concourse B. Anyway, con, uh, number four, Concourse F, the new international terminal. I'm going to say it's down here simply because there's only twelve gates, and there's really nothing to do in there except you know watch planes. And if that's something you like, like I do, then okay, that's cool. You got nice big windows, you can see stuff, and that's going to be the terminal where you have like the international flights coming over from Europe and they got the big Airbus A380, the two-story plane coming in. You can watch stuff if that's your cup of tea. But otherwise, you know, again, there's there's 12 gates, there's nothing going on. Uh if you're flying out of here, you're probably having to go through customs. You're going to be waiting 800,000 years to go somewhere. And it's at the far end of the entire airport campus from the traditional like you know terminal south terminal north and the atrium all the shopping and the sit down restaurants and stuff over there but the reason it's not further down is again because concourse b is a scourge to humanity and it's got you know, at least the general newer nicer stuff going on because it's it wasn't built in the 80s uh so number three concourse c you know it's it's, it's kind of right in the middle not not as far from the terminal as concourse d is and you got some nice uh food options in there i actually went and looked up what uh, food options are in each of these concourses. Yeah, also because, again, Concourse B is terrible. Really, the only notable stuff that isn't going to be a 10-hour excursion to sit down and have a $50 beer or whatever, Concourse B has got a Dunkin', a fresh-to-order, a Popeye's, and a Willie's. Like, okay, any anywhere in Atlanta, you can go and get that, okay? There, there's nothing special about it. Concourse C, however, has Chick-fil-A. Okay, that's a staple. Jersey Mike's, yeah, pretty good. Starbucks, I mean, a lot of people like Starbucks. Five Guys, and then El Taco, noted uh, former employer of a number of Panther Band and Georgia State people, had an outpost in there at one point. I don't know if it's currently open because of COVID, but uh, yeah, you know, there's there's some better options there. So that that's why I gave it my uh, you know my number three ranking. Number two, Concourse T, uh, which of course is the one that's attached to the terminal uh, check-in building. Uh, you actually, you don't have to go underground. You don't have to get on the train. There's actually a separate, when you get out of security, there's like a little thing that forks off to the side and you, you go down a short hallway and then you're at your gates. There's, there's some food options there. There's not a ton, but you do have a Bojangles and you have a Grindhouse Killer Burgers. Chances are, if you're going to Concourse T, you're either on a short flight in a small plane or they just, they put you there because it's not a busy hour or whatever. 
it's it's not a place you're probably going to be spending a lot of time. And then uh, number one, I have Concourse A for reasons as stated before. It's all Delta. It's one of the more busy ones. Uh, you're still close to security. You don't have to get on the plane train if you don't want. You can walk. But if you want to get on the plane train, you still can. It, it's not so far that you'd feel like you're taking 800 years to go somewhere. You know, you got a Chick-fil-A, you got a Qdoba, you got a Shake Shack, you got a Dunkin', and there's other more sit-down options if you want. But it's it's decent. It's nice. It's not a not a slog, I guess I could say. Uh, I I doubt any of the rest of you have any opinions about this, but if you do, now's the time to share. No, I'm glad you do. I was just going to say that we're going going to continue this Jordan just trashing Hartfield Jackson Concourse B unnecessarily in every episode from now on and just keep going back to it and be like, ah, that defense wasn't good in that game. You know what else wasn't good? Concourse D. Concourse B. B is for bad. Anybody else have any thoughts or are we good to uh, to move on to the next one? I can say well, this that will be I continued further in the burgeoning offshoot of the Thursday night podcast, the uh, upcoming Thursday night infrastructure and urban planning podcast uh, well, hosted if, by if, Jordan. If, Truly, if you think for a second that I'm not going to jump on that, then leave. Just stop because I will. <laughs> As a this, frequent, is, this is my field of knowledge. As a frequent traveler myself, I greatly appreciate that the, you know, dedication and in-depth analysis provided by, you know, Thursday night's own Jordan Crawford talking about Hartsfield Jackson. That was <laughs> intense in the best way possible. Yeah, someone who hasn't I left never their house in 10 plus months. Remember going <laughs> to an airport? Yeah. And I paid $15 for a cheeseburger. You can do that. I never realized... Speed how little I paid attention to on courses until I just Jordan went through that whole summation. Well, it's also <laughs> worth noting that the way, the way the Atlanta airport is laid out is not exactly conventional in terms of airport design. Like you go to LAX, you can't really go between the terminals at LAX because you have, you have like six or seven of them. I can't remember, but they're separate buildings with separate security. So for example, terminal five at LAX is where most of the Delta flights are. If you're in terminal five, your food options are a crappy McDonald's that's like twice as expensive as everything else and a couple sit down places. And that's pretty much it. And there's just there's like eight gates or whatever in there. You're trapped. You can't go anywhere in Atlanta. If you are in security, you can go anywhere in the entire airport. You can you can check into security at Concourse F over at the international side and you can go all the way down to Concourse A and get. Uh, what do they have? They got a, yeah, they, you can go get Chick-fil-A at Concourse A if you want, or you can go to Concourse C and get Chick-fil-A, or you can go to Concourse D and get Chipotle or whatever, or the Terrapin Brewery. How did I pass over that? If that's your thing, there's a Terrapin Brewery in Concourse D, maybe not right now because of COVID. But if you're at LAX, you're trapped with the crappy McDonald's and you're like, well, I don't want to pay eight bucks for a double cheeseburger. Well, you have to, because you're at LAX and they don't care about you. Anyway, we have absolutely devastated the logical per, like procession of this podcast so we're just going to move on to be fair this is kind of what we are expecting when we invited off topic questions yeah. so thank you alexis for your question i am interested to see what your uh correct order ranking the terminals slash concourses are she's about to come out with a strong case for terminal d or whatever the one you were just railing against as her well, number one you know we'll, we'll see I, I invite that discourse on the at thursday night twitter account uh so please hit us up if you have a different thing uh next up 
Uh, in a similar vein, Bailey wants to know our top five interstate exits in Atlanta. And by the top five, I mean the worst five, according to what he said. So uh, I have also thought about this. And as someone who has spent a significant amount of time driving on Atlanta interstates, as I imagine a lot of you have as well, there are a few particular just absolute concourse B exits, if you will. Uh, so we're, we're going we're gonna to start at the uh, the number five worst, in my opinion, which is going to be I-7585, you know, the downtown connector, and that weird triple exit just past the I-20 interchange that goes to Edgewood Avenue, Auburn Avenue, and J.W. Dobbs. That is probably the exit I used most when I was living on campus at Georgia State because, you know, uh, first year I lived in the Commons, then I lived in Piedmont North and all that. So I, w- I would always have to get off at that exit because I came from the south side because my parents uh, lived down in Fayette County. And I would get off there. And if you were at rush hour, you had to, you had to you know, mad dash across three lanes of traffic from the people entering the downtown connector off of I-20 just to get to that exit. And it was always backed up and people would be parked. So, you know, you come around the corner, you, you're doing, you know, you're, you're 55 miles per hour, whatever the legal speed limit is there. Other people aren't, and you're in a you're in a 15, 20 year old SUV that has the aerodynamics of a brick and the acceleration of a wet loaf of bread. So you're you're screwed. You have to get over, but you can't. So you just close your eyes, and then pray to your whatever deity you choose or choose not to believe in, and then just just go. Just you got to commit to it. And I always hated that exit until I started driving more outside of the city. And number four, leading to that. I'm going to have the Cobb Cloverleaf. That is over by Truist Park. Uh, I-75 meets I-285 right there. They have all the split-offs for, you know, uh, Cobb Parkway and all that stuff. It is always busy. And if there's a Braves game, you know, because, of course, the Braves had to move to Marietta, Cobb County. But that that intersection, that over interchange, whatever, it just it's awful. If there's any amount of traffic, forget it. That's right around the time where you have access to, I think, I can't remember what they call them, the hot lanes or whatever. That a uh, little elevated uh, roller coaster with the uh, the little transponder you have to pay money on to go that should have been Marta trains, but anyway, I digress. That intersection sucks. It's awful. Number three, Spaghetti Junction, I two eighty five, I eighty five over on the northeast side of Atlanta. If you've driven through it, you know it's it looks like spaghetti. It's a bunch of roads going everywhere. It's always backed up, but. Uh, Usually, you know, off-peak hours, it's not super bad, but it is really confusing, and the way that the ramps line up is not exactly logical. But uh, here's where we really get into the nitty-gritty of just who gave these people civil engineers slash traffic design qualifications, because number two, I-285 and Georgia 400. Now, no, they are rebuilding this right now. They're redoing it in a way that's hopefully going to make more sense. But, you know, right there at I-285 and Georgia 400, you have... A Marta station. You've got a ton of businesses. You've got all these like high-rise towers and stuff. There's not a lot of room for the roads to go uh, in places they should be going. So you have you have this, you know, Georgia 400. If you live north of the city, you are probably aware it's more or less the Georgia drag strip. The speed limit is merely a suggestion, and if you're not in triple digits, you're going to get run over and become pink mist on the asphalt unless you just go because people just go. It's like a NASCAR race. If 285 is a NASCAR track, then Georgia 400 is the drag strip in between where the the pits are and all that. It is awful because. Can I just intercut here and specifically one aspect of this interstate exchange that 
I personally have dealt with the most. My parents live north of the city up 400. So I encountered this uh, when I have, you know, have ever gone to go visit them going north from the city on 400 at the interchange where 285 joins on the left-hand side, like the off ramp oh, from 285 going north to 400 northbound is honestly, every time I go through there, I really just try and make my peace with whatever's going to happen with people merging off. Cause there's like, as the, as the exit from 285 going onto 400 North, like merges into the, the, the interstate itself, the, like the, the ending of the uh, like extra like shoulder lane for the merging cars is like a fraction of what I feel like it, like the, the specification should be. So you have people like immediately coming off that insanely high, like graded curve and then have to merge within like two, 300 feet uh, so that's that's my one gripe with the 400 North interchange. It's uh, just a, <laughs> a death trap, in my opinion. Yeah, that's it's really bad, and that's part of the reason they're redoing it. But the the worst part for me is since it's been under construction, if you're coming down south, uh, south on 400, coming into the city, and you need to get on 285, uh, I think it's 25 east at that point, the uh, the inner loop going clockwise. They reconfigured that exit in a way that makes no sense during construction and if you don't know where you're going you're going to run smack dab into like you know the little the knife edge of the divider that separates the off-ramp and the main thing because you know they they took the original one down so they can reconfigure it you have to know exactly where to go or you know i don't know if you ever played any of the well i, I know people in this uh, podcast have but if any listeners have ever played like a need for speed game or a, a gta or anything like that and you know what happens, like you, you drive into one of those and the car just stops and pancakes. And you're like, OK, you, you're dead. You can't do that. So if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. You're screwed because if you go through that interchange, you have to go like another mile and a half before you get to another exit. And then you're in the middle of the Buckhead, Sandy Springs area. And you're like, all right, well, where do I go now? Disaster. But it does not have any comparison whatsoever to my number one pick, which is, of course, the hilariously diabolical, like, I can't even come up with a family-friendly way to describe how awful and how much I hate this exit. It's the I-20 to the downtown connector interchange, that entire mess. Yes, sir. Right there. Because, like I said with my number five pick, you have I-20, you know, I-20 westbound coming to the downtown connector northbound. They just shove the whole, like, two, three lanes in there at full speed. Nobody ever looks over their shoulders. So if you're on I-20 and you're going, you want to go north on the downtown connector... You just you just go right on in and you could you could be going 50 miles an hour around that curve and there's people on the downtown connector and they're not paying attention. They're just going to try and merge into your lane because, again, they're trying to get off at the Edgewood Auburn GW Dobbs exit and then they're going to slam right into you. I, I watched somebody I watched somebody in another car. Thank God it was not me. Somebody in a Ford Explorer tried to do some sort of like Tokyo drift thing and went right in front of somebody else and they like got air and spun around in midair. Like, you know, figure skating style where they like they come off the ice and they do the little swirl thing and then they land and everybody claps. But nobody's clapping when a 5,000 pound SUV smacks into a wall on the side of the interstate and you are 18 years old driving in Atlanta for like the first time. Bad experience. That interchange is always a disaster. It is so poorly designed. And somebody thought, you know, what we should do is we should put the most important two interstates in Atlanta in one spot and bulldoze a bunch of stuff and then have people driving at 85 miles an hour the whole time. No, who hurt you why did you design this in such a way to cause so much pain and danger to people the only redeeming thing about it is there's nothing i can't even think of anything it's right in front of the capitol building oh look shiny it's not gold at concourse b 
No, it's, it's not, not Concourse B. B. <laughs> Concourse, this interchange makes Concourse B look like Concourse, Concourse A. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> No, I hope to God this is somebody's first episode they listen to, and this is the like impression of the content that you can expect from this group every week when you. I hope go look at the statistics. There's just going to be people don't listen to this and think they're having a fever dream. <laughs> right? No, not not a fever dream like the designer of the interchange. Am I right? Thing. Yeah. Uh, does anyone else have any thoughts about uh, interstate interchanges? I'm very very interested. I feel like number one has to be that I twenty interchange for all yeah. of us. Mm -hmm. um, just because, I mean, for us specifically, all being band folks, that's the most easily accessible um, off uh, off exit for the um, the the artist formerly known as the Georgia State uh, Practice Fields, where over at 180 MLK that we used to rehearse on. Now they they rehearse in the stadium now, so that's not an issue anymore. But uh, we. We, three out of the four of the folks on this pod, um, all live together off of I-20 as well. So that was our oh, yeah. go-to uh, uh, highway interchange that we had to deal with uh, pretty much any time we left the house. Right. Um, so, and whatever an anti-shout-out anti that I can give to the I-20, <laughs> uh, specifically southbound on 7585, getting off and going to I-20 east, um, yeah, man, I've, I've seen some just truly horrific, uh, not even accidents. Cause I've ever, never actually witnessed an accident on, on that, um, interchange, thankfully. Um, but some of the just hellacious driving and just truly deplorable, uh, road skills, uh, exhibited by pedestrian drivers, uh, commercial drivers, 18 wheelers, police officers, emergency vehicles, utility vehicles, just like all gambits across the vehicular spectrum, whatever the, the area of that interchange, whatever energy it brings, it just brings out the absolute worst in people's uh, driving ability. So yeah, yeah. It's truly it's terrible. It's, 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 irredeemable seeing somebody come over from the hov lane after the lane has already started to like <laughs> yeah. diverge from the actual road crossing four lanes to go into the like island between the actual 7585 southbound and the 20 interchange like connector uh waiting on their stops at a dead stop with their blinkers on like they're just merging into another lane meanwhile there's like Cars going at seventy miles an hour on one side and trying to get onto the I twenty interchange on the other side. It's just it's just a disaster. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Bailey, for that question. It's uh, something I think anyone who spent any amount of time at Georgia State and did not have the incredible and wonderful luxury of taking Marta to campus and avoiding that. Uh, shout out to the Marta Blue Line, uh, Indian Creek to Georgia State Station is the best life hack anyone could have possibly given me to getting to campus. It's 19 minutes. You step right off. You're right by the science building. And, you know, life is good. You didn't have to drive. You didn't have to get angry. And you didn't have to, you know, potentially get in a car accident and kill somebody or yourself. So, uh, thanks. yeah. <laughs> thanks, uh, Bailey, for offering that bit of catharsis that I feel like none of us knew that we needed, but all of us actually did need. So our next question is from Samantha, a uh, former GSU Panther Band member that a lot of us marched with, and she wants to know what our top five Panther Band shows are. So I'll run through my uh, top five uh, real quick, and then we can go back in and discuss uh, intricacies and details of marching band show design, as I'm sure even less of you are aware of. 
uh, relative to like uh, interstate and airport design. Anyway, I digress. If you made it this far, you might as well stick it out. <laughs> yeah, it's just, only getting more obscure from here. <laughs> you're already on the bus. Just just stay in your seat. <laughs> so uh, at number coming at number five to me again, we'll go in more detail later. I just wanted to get my top five and then give maybe somebody else a chance to talk since I've just kind of you know dominated this whole thing. Uh, number five for me is going to be the 2013 show, which was called a 100: A Century in Review. Uh, that was the uh, songs chronicling the uh, music and the time period that Georgia State University had its first uh, century of existence. Uh, number four for me would be the 2014 show, New York State of Mind. That was music celebrating the band's invitation to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade that same year. Uh, number three for me is one of the 2017 shows, the first year the Panthers played at what was then known as Georgia State Stadium. Had a bunch of shows, uh, songs themed around the idea of what a home is and celebrating that. Uh, number two for me, 2015 show called Let's Dance. It was a lot of really recognizable dance music and popular stuff from the past 50 years or so. And of course, number one for me, uh, the 2012 show, A Georgia State of Mind, the origin of the Georgia on my mind tradition, and also the show that got the band into the 2013 inaugural parade at the second inauguration of Barack Obama. So that's my top five. Uh, Taylor, do you have a top five of your own? Yeah, honestly, that kind of mirrors mine. Um, yeah, I did, working from one back down, because it's honestly uh, hard to rank them for me. Like, you know, they're all just, they, they were different experiences as someone who was in the Panther band um, during uh, most of the ones that you uh, ex uh, just listed, both as a member and then later on um, as like a, a, basically like a media person for the band. Uh, definitely number one for me has to be the, uh, the Georgia show from 2012, the one that we used to kind of um, uh, to apply for the uh, inauguration parade. That was a ton of fun. Um, the 2014 show, I'm originally, uh, from New York. So the, uh, the New York state of mind show that we used, um, uh, leading up to, uh, the Macy's parade was also a ton, a ton of fun. Hmm. Um, let's dance was also a bad, I mean, really top three for me are probably mirrored with yours, Jordan. Um, if I could throw an honorable mention out there and I know this is within the Panther band community, quite a spicy take. Uh, -oh. uh but I very much enjoyed 2011 show one. Oh, it's about the time. time. Show. Oh, yes. It's about time, starting off with uh, Clocks and Four Minutes to Save the World uh, mashup and finishing up with other time-related hits that you all know and love, like Rock Around the Clock and, oh man, uh, the Time Warp finishing yeah, that at the end. Yeah. That was fun. Um, at the watching the entire band have to learn and perform the, uh, the party rock dance oh is God, something yeah. that both I cherish and wish that I could scrub from my brain's memory forever. Um, <laughs> And yeah, lots of uh, this is actually pretty tough. Like I like I said, I have trouble like kind of ranking them top to bottom just because they all uh, have so many different kind of like memories of the experience. Um, but the shows themselves were always tons and tons of fun to perform. So, uh, Samantha, thank you so much for your question. It's always fun to talk about Panther Band stuff It's not really something we get to discuss on this podcast, although it is something that the four of us really appreciated and is ultimately the reason we all know each other. And I guess kind of by proxy, the reason this podcast exists, but, uh, so last top five, uh, list request that we received was from Sid who wants to know our top five, top five lists. Uh, well, Sid, I would say the previous, uh, top five, top five list that we discussed would be our top five, top five lists. Uh, any, any objections to that? 
I don't know, but I think my brain is leaking out of my ears just a little bit trying to work out what you just said. <laughs> I've lost okay. the cognitive ability to think for myself, so I'm just going to agree with what you said. So you're, you say your brain is the concourse B of oh my god. <laughs> I, th- I think it's time for this episode to end. So uh, uh, thank you so much, all of you who submitted uh, top five list requests. All of uh, you who made it through <laughs> to the end of this episode. All the unbearable all three of you came on. Thanks for listening. The, the slog of urban planning meets marching band show design theory meets airport restaurant locations meets, you know, actual basketball and sports topics. And uh but yeah, that, that's all the time we've got for this week. Thank you so much for being a part of the Thursday night podcast. As always, hopefully we will have a weekend of basketball to discuss next week. Uh, if you want more uh, kind of, I, I don't know why you would after what you just listened to, but if you want to, <laughs> if you want more off topic discussion, please let us know. Cause this is actually a lot of fun for us to put together. So um, yeah, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the suggestion and uh, hope keep them coming. Yeah, uh, I like talking, and I'm not very good about talking about the intricacies of sports, but I will talk your ear off until you die about infrastructure and urban planning. So, yeah, if you want to see that, then let us know. If not, we will do the responsible thing and, you know, actually talk about sports on a sports podcast. But we'll save that for next week. Uh, we will catch you guys on episode 71 uh, next week, Thursday night podcast, hopefully with some good Georgia State sports news to discuss. See ya. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.